Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Uh, welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. I honestly thought you would all be washed away with all of that rain. So thank you to all of you who made the effort to come in and uh, risk getting very, very wet. So uh, it's lovely to see you all. Uh, my name is Tracy Locke and I'm the curator of Australian art. And I'm giving a talk today that's actually part of the History Festival. And so when I was approached to do a talk about the History Festival, I thought, perfect. Uh, because I have become, in the last 18 months or so, quite interested in the idea of time. And the idea, of course, of history is, is very much at the core of my everyday life with my work. Many of you uh, will be aware that we're standing in the elder wing of Australian art and it's been recently rehung. And so for those of you who are already aware, just please forgive me because some of you may not know and I'd just like to, to talk about that a little bit to begin with. Um, when we had the... Um, Colours uh, exhibition from the Musée d'Orsay. Our Australian art collection was removed from display to make way for that exhibition. And in December last year, Elle Freak and I uh, worked on the rehang and it was reopened to the public. And, and people, when they came in, they noticed that the display was very different. And the reason was uh, we are actually testing new curatorial ideas with this rehang because essentially we stripped away time. Uh, ordinarily, these kind of national collections are displayed in chronological order. But what we've done here is we have di divided the, the collection up into seven different anthologies. And those anthologies uh, the ideas about those anthologies can be uh, explored within wall text within each space. So I felt that the time had arrived, despite that there is no other uh, public art museum in the nation that is displaying their Australian art collection in this way. So it's a little bit radical, which I like, uh, but I think it is... I think the time is right for us to open up new opportunities to look at art, and one of the ways to do that is to pull away time. Um, Elle and I were very, very interested in um, really exploring the universality of the human experience. So rather than becoming preoccupied, here's an Australian artist in the 1850s, we want to talk about the bigger stories and how often artists are working in an international context, but they're also exploring uh, human, very, very human concepts. So part of the displays also stop and uh, look at the intersections between the materiality of, of the world and human emotion. And again, as you walk through the displays, you will find pockets of quite intense uh, moments of emotion. So where does time, how does time relate to emotion? Uh, well, if any of you have ever looked at a photograph of yourself taken 20 years ago, you'll go, time did that, you know? as though really time is a kind of criminal. Uh, and it is a kind of criminal because 
We can't see it. It's imperceptible. And this is the quest of an artist, is to try and capture in oil paint or bronze or plaster over here, try and capture time. But it is very, very elusive. And of course, the idea of time has been the preoccupation of not only artists over centuries, but also philosophers. Um, and certainly Aristotle, you'll notice with the rehang, uh, I've been, we've been very clear about Australian art really having no beginning point. Aristotle himself said time can't have a beginning point because if you have a beginning point, that's in between two other points. Uh, so it, it's slippery. It's like the beginning of a mountain. Where does a mountain begin? What's the starting point? So we're just, as curators, we're, we're interested in these ideas and, and the idea of, of capturing time. And of course, we know very much that grand narrative, that linear form of the chronology that we have worked with in our industry for many, many years has accorded to the concepts of Newton. Uh, you know, 17th and 18th century concepts of time, where Newton believed that time was measurable, it was absolute, and it was not affected by a perceiver, and that time ran in a continuous flow. Whereas then you have Einstein coming into the 20th century and saying, well, wait a minute, stop. Time is actually malleable. It's flexible. So Einstein makes the idea or expresses the idea that, in fact, if you live in a penthouse, so I'm sorry if any of you do, but if you live in a penthouse, you're actually going to age more quickly than if you live on the ground level. Um, and even more recently, over, uh, certainly over the Christmas period, I had the great opportunity to have time to sit and read a book by a, a, a physicist who's working in Marseille in France at the moment. And he's come up with this concept of the loop theory. And he, in fact, says, time is an illusion. And that's, of course, the, the topic of my talk today. And this Italian-French-based physicist says that, you know, kind of Newton got it a bit right, Einstein got it a little bit right too, but now we're thinking time is actually just one big jelly. And we're all floating in, in jelly. Um, and in fact, he, he, he talks about the fact that it is also, of course, time is imperceptible. Uh, and what I might do, he, he wrote a book, this physicist, and I do... I uh, urge you to read it. It's called The Order of Time, and it's absolutely fascinating. I just thought I would quote from Carlo Rovelli, who wrote The Order of Time. He says that thoughts and emotions that create bonds of attachment between us have no difficulty crossing seas and decades, even our times. We are part of a network that goes far beyond the few days of our lives. And again, these were the ideas that were infiltrating our thoughts when we were rehanging this collection, that everybody is connected and we are actually all 
Time is actually very fluid, it can stand still, it can move very fast, and it can be a total illusion. Um, so what I'm going to do today is really talk about, within this space, um, some of the examples of artists trying to capture that illusory, illusionary concept of time. So I'm going to walk around the space, uh, so bear with me, you might just need to pivot on, on your seats, but um, I would like to begin firstly with looking at the work of Eugene von Gerard, very, very famous 19th century Australian artist who studied in Germany and uh, was very much influenced by the Dusseldorf School and the ideas of the German romantic theorist uh, Gustav Karras but also the ideas of Humboldt and the publishing of Humboldt's book in Germany called Cosmos. And both of, both of these sort of scientists and writers and theorists were encouraging artists to look at nature and by looking closely and recording nature in very great detail, you could transcend time. So this work here, by Von Gerard, a masterpiece in our collection, Castle Rock, Cape Shank. If you look at it closely, what you will find is he's literally painting time. Because most of the composition is actually geologic. It's, it's rock, it's a Gnostic, geognostic kind of landscape. Half of the painting is rock. And he, as, as, as the artist that he was, was interested in recording in accurate detail what he saw befo before him in order to transcend time. So he's literally painting volcanic rock that's very particular to this region on the Mornington Peninsula, uh, southwest of Melbourne. And the view that he's taken includes, would you believe, what's now known as pulpit rock and this is all this area here is volcanic strata that is 45 to 50 million years old and he has a view of the heads of Port Phillip Bay. Now there he is recording time but also what is very clear is how the antiquity of the earth is beyond reckoning. So if we think about how do we, as individuals, comprehend that concept of 50 million years, it makes us feel very little uh, within that time frame. And if you look closely at this work, you will see that Von Gerard has included a little group of tourists. He's included a fisherman down here and some fishermen still in their boat. And they are teeny, teeny, tiny. So he's emphasising how insignificant we are within the greater universe and that our time here is just fleeting. The other aspect of this fantastic landscape is, of course, what do you notice about the time of day? It's a sunset. So it's another signal to us that time is passing, the time is moving. Similarly, he has painted this work here um, of a temple. 
And it was painted in Sicily. Actually, I'm, I'm lying. It was paint, later painted in London, but he visited the area earlier, Sicily. And it's a painting of the valley uh, of temples there, Greek temples. And he's recorded the temple in a state of decay. So again, he's referencing time and the passage of time. So I could go on further there, but I would like to just turn around and, and look at these, uh, this fantastic butcher shop diorama that we have been very grateful to have been allowed to borrow from the David Roche Foundation. And uh, when we were installing the, the Elder Wing Rehang, a few people, uh, well, maybe many, um, staff were saying, why, and quite rightly so, asking, well, Tracy, why are you including an image of the butcher shop? I wanted to do that because it references, uh, it's like a memento memori. It's yes. It's a diorama from the 1850s from England that was put in a butcher shop front. But it's a bigger story than that. Now, remember I was talking about the humanity and the emotions that we're pointing at in this rehang. What it is about is about the, our impermanence. And it's referencing, you'll see this big carcass here. Of course, many of you will be familiar with the work of Rembrandt's uh, The Slayed Ox, Ox. Uh, that was acquired by the Louvre and is dated 1655. And there he has this huge carcass strapped up and, of course, symbolizing, symbolizing the crucifixion of Christ. So while this looks like an innocent, fabulous, quirky little bookshop, it's reading on other levels. And it's by no accident that we display above it a work by W.B. Gould, who was a, a convict artist, Tasmanian-based, and um, had worked as a, a sort of China painter designer for Spode in England, but unfortunately was transported and convicted for, for stealing a coat. Uh, some of our artists, it's quite interesting what they're convicted for, colonial artists, sometimes it's bed linen or, or, or coats, but hardly crimes. Um, but we have here this still life by him of a hare and a pheasant and some birds. And again, it relates to that Dutch tradition of still life painting and uh, the memento memore. But interesting, what some people might miss about this still life is this tiny little bit of nosebleed from the hare. So we immediately know this isn't some kind of staged taxidermy group of, of um, animals that have been hunted and, and caught and going to be consumed. We know it's very recent. He's expressed a sense of time by including the tiny but rather disturbing little nosebleed from the hair. So they're little symbols. Um, and little clues, little codes to us as viewers of this collection to pick up on, on these subtle signs. Perhaps I'll just walk over here on my way to the other side of the space and I'm going to walk past a new acquisition here by H.J. Johnston and also I'll just briefly touch on 
This work is another work by the artist I mentioned who'd studied in Dusseldorf. He arrived here in the 1850s in Australia. But it's also a work by Eugene von Gerard called Stony Rises. It's another masterpiece in the collection. Uh, it's a total anomaly in his oeuvre. As I mentioned to you, Eugene von Gerard always painted in accordance, uh, very accurately recorded what was before him. In this, he's made it up. It's a fantasy scene, but it's a scene that is nostalgic, as is this work by H.J. Johnston. Again, always sunsets, and they're talking about passing time, but a time that once was. So the past. And in this particular work, Von Gerard is talking about uh, the passing of the uh, Aboriginal people from this region. It was uh, a region in um, uh, Victoria around Lake Colac and Camperdown. And again, it was a volcanic, distinctive volcanic area, but it was also an area uh, which had really the the tragedy for being a scene of um, the killing of a number of Aboriginal people. When Von Gerard moved and travelled through this area in the 1850s, there were only 16 uh, Aboriginal people from this particular tribe that uh, owned this land. There were only 16 remaining. So he created this scene as a kind of, I guess, a reminder to the nation of what had once been. We all know that, of course, Aboriginal people have uh, lived on strong and, and, and so forth, but he was signalling these Aboriginal people conducting their daily lives. We've got the, the homecoming of, of the man, the, the, the father with his um, successful hunt, the woman has the fire going, the children are playing, there's a beautiful water source here. But this way of life, when this was painted, had passed. And their lives uh, had been disrupted forever from that point in time. So again, just little notes uh, for you about time that paint artists referencing uh, the passage of time. I'm going to finish the talk over here. So, so far we've looked at artists that are talking about um, referring to really our small amount of time that we are here on Earth. We've looked at artists painting time, painting geology and so forth, uh, referencing the passage of time with sunsets, referencing and being nostalgic, referencing the past, what has been. But also you have a number of artists in this space that explore other aspects of time. And they're very interested in trying to record that passage of time in a different way. One of the most famous examples and obvious examples of that is this work, which is a masterpiece in our collection by Tom Roberts, a breakaway, plural verb, breakaway, moving. So we are all very familiar that this work is really a national statement about national identity. Painted in 1891, it's prefiguring federation. It's painted at a time at the end of a very, very severe drought. Um, 
And we kind of know those stories. It has the, the stockman as the hero at the very centre of the composition. Yes, great, terrific. However, this painting is also about time and the fact that Tom Roberts worked in photographic studios. He understood photography. He was interested in photography and he used photography as a device, as a tool to convey movement in his paintings. And so when you look and study this composition, what you see is this rush of sheep coming down the hillside and the stockman is trying to avert uh, danger. But what you see is this very strong diagonal coming down and with all the dust and the matter, uh, this is energy. This abstraction is capturing energy and movement. In fact, if you cut, did a detail, that's almost like a, a Sidney Nolan painting, it's quite an interesting palette. But he's captured this rush, a breakaway down the hill. How has he done that? He's done it, as I've said, by partly abstracting this area of the rush. He's made multiples of the sheep. So you get this sense of the shutter, of the movement coming down. It's an incredibly sophisticated painting and it's very modern. It's of the time. So what we do know is that Tom Roberts had actually been reading about the work of Edward Mybridge when he was working on shearing the rams and he used Mybridge's photographic uh, experiments to help him try and capture movement of his figures. So you might be all asking, and again, good question, quite rightly, who on earth was Edward Mybridge? Now, we have an example of Edward Mybridge's work down here, just behind Karina, and, and um, you can have a look at it later, but it shows the movement of a galloping horse. Edward Mybridge was an English-American experimental photographer who invented stop-motion uh, photography. Now, he is also very famous for uh, photographing, for example, Yosemite National Park. Some of you may know his photographs of that. But he, he was asked to settle a bet in about 1877-1878 in America. Uh, Californian governor, Leyland Stanford. Um, there was a big argument that was prevailing at the time about do horses have all of their feet off the ground when they're in a full gallop? And there was so much debate, he, and the governor said, could you please, you know, sort this out and, and find a solution? What's the answer? So Edward Mybridge set up a series of um, glass plate cameras, and he had threads from the cameras, uh, like trip th threads, uh, that the horse would gallop across and trigger the shutter of the camera. And he was able to prove conclusively that yes, all the horse's uh, legs were off the ground at the one time. But this was sort of 1878. He, uh, there were lectures about Edward Mybridge's discoveries in London, in America, and certainly in Melbourne. And we know for certain Tom Roberts attended lectures on Edward Mybridge's work. So, Tracy, where are you really going with all of this? <laughs> the point is that... Tom Roberts was trying to capture a moment in time. 
that, that rush, that sudden moment, something very powerful and very quick. And he's trying to do it in the, the magical material of oil paint. You know, I think that's just fantastic. But he's using and referring to the tricks and the discoveries of Edward Mybridge to convey that movement. And I have some um, images of Edward Mybridge's um, experiments here. I might just pass them around. Would you mind passing just, just for your interest so you can sort of try and understand what I'm talking about. But this was revolutionary. Okay, these were the ideas that not only Tom Roberts was looking at, but also at the very same time, Rodin. Okay, and he too was very interested in capturing movement, which you can see here with the flying figure, and then the very ironic, armless, legless, walking man in the centre of this space. And yes, if you look at that sculpture, you can see he's captured that sense of movement despite him being completely legless. So again, the magic that artists are able to capture to convey uh, movement across time. And I have a, a quote by Rodin about this very nature. So Rodin was looking at the work of Edward Mybridge as well. And um, he, had a, he was very much initially of the opinion that photography was useful as a tool. He later actually exhibited photographs with his work. But in terms of conveying a sense of time, this is what Rodin had to say. He said, in photographs, the figures, though taken while moving, seem suddenly fixed in mid-air. It is because all parts of the body being reproduced exactly at the same 20th or 40th of a second, there is no progressive development of movement as there is in art. It is the artist who is truthful and photography which lies. For in reality, time does not stop. And if the artist succeeds in producing the impression of a movement which takes several moments for accomplishment, his work is certainly much less conventional than the scientific image, where time is abruptly suspended. So what he's really saying, it's quite radical and progressive to be able to capture time. Um, and of course, there you have Tom Roberts aiming and achieving the same effect as Rodin at the same time. Walking Man and this work are only a couple of years apart. So where do we go to from here other than to say it's just so inspiring to look at the way artists are so creative in the way they try and capture something that is actually that is not there. You know, it's imperceptible, it's Ill, it, it, time is an illusion. Um, and perhaps I might finish just by, and conclude just by saying, going back to Aristotle, which I think is true, he said, time is the most unknown of all unknown things. So I think uh, we can certainly be grateful that we have and we live in a world where we have artists who try and make sense 
of the world around us for us and for our sake and to remind us about our position in the world. So what I would like to do now is, is finish, uh, but if anybody has any questions, I will certainly try to answer them, although almost everything I've been talking about today, there are really no answers, there's no truth, uh, it's all just uh, chat, really. Uh, but if anyone does have any comments or, or questions, I'd be very happy to receive them. No. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs>